am a master at repetition. Repeating is a pattern of instruction rehearsed to promote renewal of thought, thereby increasing the understanding of the student and transforming our behavior. I believe in repetition firmly. It is the mother of learning. And we have not learned a principle, we have not learned a spiritual truth until we live it. We haven't learned it till we live it. We did not learn it if we are not living it. The goal of the student must be to learn so that we live. Teaching is the impartation of knowledge so as to educate, to train, and to prepare for an assignment. In Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 in the English Standard Version, Jesus says to his disciples, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, all exousia in heaven and on earth has been given to me. To his followers, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, of all ethnicities. Ethnos is the word. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Notice the word teaching. Didasco. Teaching them, that is the impartation of knowledge, teaching them to observe, pay attention, obey all that I have commanded you. This is the expectation of heaven. God's requirement is that we obey him, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Didasco. It's teaching. It's the impartation of knowledge. Akua is the counterpart of didasco. The disciple, the student, the pupil, the follower of Christ hears the teaching and becomes one with the teacher. That's the master teacher, Jesus the Christ. We become one with him by obedience. Akuo, it is my readiness to obey what God says to me. When God says it, I don't argue. Listen, I don't clap back. I obey. Effective teaching embodies repeating until learning takes place. To learn means that you and I are receiving the knowledge, the training, the instruction necessary to progressively change our behavior so that we're living within the confines of that pattern of behavior that has been set forth for us by God. To learn means that you and I are receiving the knowledge, the training, the instruction necessary to progressively change our behavior so that we're living within the confines of that pattern of behavior set forth for us by God. We're created to live. To live means that we're hooked up to the source of life. We're empowered by the source of life. We're rooted and grounded in the source of life so that we reign over we radha, we rule over the circumstances of life. We were created by our creator to live. 
We've heard this before. We came out of God, and in order for us to live, we must remain connected to God. And truth accepted must become visible. If it is not visible, it is not truth accepted. When truth is accepted, the student assimilates that imparted knowledge, that imparted truth, when truth is accepted, then I incorporate that into my thinking. It is assimilated into my life. And so when you look at me, you see the truth that I have accepted. Our text comes out of 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And I'm intentionally reading these verses from the original King James Version. And David said, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness, some, some compassion for Jonathan's sake. Jonathan was David's friend. Verse 2, and there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Makar, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Everybody say Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Verse 8, And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? Who refers to himself or herself as a dead dog? There's something twisted about how he sees himself. It is from these verses in biblical history that we introduce a teaching series entitled Scars That Won't Heal. Mephibosheth now, he's, he's only five years old. When his father Jonathan and his grandfather Saul are both killed in the battle at Mount Geboa. With the death of Jonathan and Saul, the family fell from the throne. And in the terror of that day of defeat and death, the nurse caught up Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and fled with him in her arms. In her haste, she dropped the little prince, and as a result, his injury caused him to be lame in both feet for the rest of his life. Ziba, one of Saul's servants, served Mephibosheth, but falsely obtained half of his master's property. So now we have a prince who is abandoned and left in a place called Lodabar. He has a low view of himself. He is scarred, experiencing self-abasement. He's shame. There's contempt. 
There's self-hatred. Mephibosheth's original name was Meribel, derived from the idol Baal. Samuel, God's priest, changed his name to Mephibosheth, which means he strikes down shame. And I want to submit to us that God strikes down shame. God removes the guilt, he removes the condemnation, he removes the embarrassment, and, and he looks at our lives and he sees that there's something redemptive about each and every one of us. Shame incarcerates those who hide in the pain of the past. Everybody has a past, every breathing one of us in this room. We share this in common, we have a past, and, and um, it is not as lily white as we want people to think it is. It's filled with a lot of horror, a lot of trauma, a lot of drama, a lot of hurt, a lot of disappointment, a lot of unwise choices. All of us share this in common. We have a past, and we're not always proud of the past. Scars, they leave us with guilt. They leave us with condemnation. They leave us with shame. And shame is the, that, that painful posture of the mind shaped by humiliation, fear of what people think, fear of rejection, a loss of dignity and worth, distress and regret, and even anger caused by one's personal unwise choices or the ungodly choice or behavior inflicted upon us by someone we trusted. Low the bar is below the bar. Can we talk today? It's a low place. It's a place that is unfruitful, a place that is, that is barren. There's no room for growth. Listen, no room for recovery. Everybody say, Lodabar. In this place, there's no word from the Lord. Everybody say, Lodabar. There's no pastor. Everybody say, Lodabar. There's no life, no productivity. There's no communion with God. It's a place of poverty, emotional poverty, relational poverty, physical poverty, and spiritual poverty. Lodabar. And the longer I am in a crippled place, a Lodabar place, the more I will see myself at the level of my scars. It, it does matter who I am rolling with. It does matter where I am positioned. It does matter my mental conditioning. Lodabar is not an environment that is conducive to growth and development. Lodabar feeds, listen, an unhealthy mental state. And while we look at people on the outside, none of us really understand the depth of what's going on in the soul, what's going on in the mind. Lodabar is Satan's camping ground. <laughs> Some relationships are Lodabar. Understand the definition. There's no recovery in this relationship. There's no room for growth in this relationship. There's no word from the Lord in this relationship. There's no life in this relationship. No productivity. No communion with God. It's a place of poverty. Lodabar is not an environment conducive to growth and development. Some choices are Lodabar. Some thought patterns are Lodabar. Some speech Patterns are low the bar. And some attitudes just downright low the bar. How I see myself determines what I do say. What I do, what I say, how I behave, 
and how I introduce myself to others. Pay attention, please. How I see myself. It does matter how you see yourself. It does matter what you think about you. Mephibosheth looked at himself as a dead dog. No life, no meaning, no hope. But what about us, you see? How I see myself determines what I do. How I see myself determines what I say. How I see myself determines how I behave. And listen, how I see myself does dictate how I introduce me to others. Mephibosheth, so he sees himself as a dead dog. He refers to himself as a dead dog. Though a prince, one born of royal lineage and entitled to his father's and his grandfather's inheritance, still sees himself as a dead dog. What about you? How do you see yourself? You see, I know what you think about you based upon how you present yourself to me. I know how you see yourself based upon what you say to me, you see. I know how you see yourself based upon your attitude, right? Yeah. Popping your neck, <laughs> catching air, clapping back, yeah. right? Attitude about any and everything. I understand how you see yourself based upon how you react. Scars are real. Betrayal is real. The pain of unfulfilled expectations real. Abandonment is real. Being alone is real. Disappointments are real, but no scar can keep us from the will of God, Amen. you see. From God's perspective, pay attention please, being alone and being lonely are two separate and distinct experiences. Just because I am alone doesn't mean I'm lonely. And I can be lonely in a room full of people. You see, from God's perspective, they're not synonymous. In Genesis 2:18, and the Lord God said, it is not good. That word in the Hebrew, tov, it means beneficial to the fulfillment of one's purpose. It is not good that the man should be alone, alone, not lonely. Adam was not lonely. And the saints said, Amen. and the unmarried people said, Amen. listen, he was alone, but he was not lonely. There has to be the understanding of the distinction. God says, since it's not good, it is not beneficial to the fulfillment of his purpose that he be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Someone suitable and adaptable to help him develop in his manhood and carry out his God-given task. To be alone means, listen, without help. You should take good notes. Especially if you've been running around saying, oh, I'm so lonely. Listen, you need to take good notes. To be alone means to be without help. It means to be without support, someone to assist in our growth, our development. It is the absence of someone to help us fulfill a goal, a task, an assignment. To be lonely means idle. <laughs> so the next time you say, I'm lonely, <laughs> let's challenge your idleness. To be lonely, it, it means unproductive, it means isolated, it means needing affirmation, it means needing approval and acceptance. It is unmanaged time. We probably won't hear people saying, I'm lonely as much. Mephibosheth was alone and he was lonely. Scars 
that won't heal. What are we talking about? The subject is clear. The why is what we want to investigate. Because far too many of us are carriers of scars that can be healed but are not healed. The why is what we want to investigate. Scars that should have been healed a long time ago, but we yet struggle with the reality of some choice or some experience in life that was so horrific that we have yet to overcome. Why haven't we overcome? We're left alone and crippled, crippled emotionally. Some of us crippled relationally, crippled socially, crippled financially, crippled spiritually, crippled, dropped. And how do we approach the teaching? We must have a willingness to hear. Akua. We must be willing to change. We must be willing to receive the impartation of truth and assimilate that truth into our lives. We must be able to absorb and incorporate into our thinking what the word of God says about who we really are. So we, we find ourselves trafficking in an era, a, a culture, a dispensation saturated with a sense of entitlement. You owe me. A sense of doing things our own way based upon our own human reasoning. In Proverbs 14, 12, the scripture says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So doing it our way can kill us. Many of us prefer logic and, and analyzation over pure faith, just pure faith in God. And I am not saying that we should not consider logic. I'm not saying that we should not consider in intellect and analysis. I am saying that when these functions supersede faith in the integrity of God and what his word says, we will find ourselves at a disadvantage in life. God's word embodies the power to save us, to heal us, to deliver us, to restore hope, to restore us to wholeness. God's word embodies what we need to live. Because we rely so heavily on feelings and emotions and human intellect, even when the truth is presented, many times we refuse to readily adhere to and obey the truth. So we question spiritual principles. We become argumentative and we dismiss any principle that does not coddle us or accommodate how we want to function in the earth. And I am not one to coddle or to accommodate. Because I have lived long enough wherein it doesn't matter to me what people think. It really don't matter what they say. Right? Because everybody's entitled to their own opinion and it's just that is your opinion. <laughs> Low thinking, dead dog thinking embodies, pay attention, Satan's strategy to keep us forever stuck, stagnant, struggling. I want to repeat, low thinking, dead dog thinking embodies Satan's strategy to keep us forever stuck and stagnant and struggling in life. How do you see yourself? The devil seeks to cripple us so that we never rise and overcome the pain of the past and even the pain of the present. So we have some considerations before us today. How do you see yourself? You see, this is not the time for you to check out your neighbor, right? How do you see you? What do you think about you? Who told you who you are? What does your environment, that is, what does your association tell you about you? And is it possible that God is bringing us into a place of awareness we have been void of. Are you teachable? You see, we are not saved by our degrees. 
We're not saved by our good looks. We're not saved by our status. We're not saved by our intellect, our accomplishments, academic or otherwise. We're not saved by our fans and our followers, subscriptions, and professed good deeds. May I submit to us that it's grace. Yeah. It's unmerited favor. It is caress. It is God loving us too much to give us what we deserve. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Aren't you glad he didn't give us what we deserve? Listen, based upon what we know about us. You see, when we, when we present ourselves to others, we don't present the horror of our past, the things that we know that we We don't present that. You know, you put your best foot forward, right? Because we're trying to impress folk. God gave us grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Notice it is the gift. It's a gift. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So God does not, listen, respond to our entitlement mentality. Nor does he respond to a, pay attention, a victim mentality. Stuff happened, and God does not see us as victims. No matter what we experience in life, God never sees his children as victims. You see, as long as he is God, he is well able to lift us above whatever happened to us. He is well able to heal us, restore us, and deliver us even when we made a choice that brought this thing upon us. The decisions and disobedience of others will not and cannot prevent God's plan for your life. God's plan for my life. Yeah, I did it, but that doesn't stop God's plan for my life. Yeah, I messed up, I made an unwise choice, but that does not prevent God's plan for my life. Thank God God has chosen each one of us, pay attention, to live a life of purpose. Jeremiah 1.5, this is not just unique to Jeremiah the prophet. We must see the principle, the spiritual principle, the truth in these verses. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So God says now, I was intimately acquainted with you before conception took place. Before the foundation of the world, I knew you had a plan for your life, predetermined, predestined a good thing for your life. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. In other words, I knew what you would do. I delivered you from a profane use and I set you apart for sacred use. I knew exactly what path you would take. The Bible is clear for you know the path that I take, right? And when you have tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, God knows every turn. And he will try us. And then after being tried, he presents us as gold. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I was intimately acquainted with you. And I didn't disqualify you seeing what you would do. You see, because he is still God in our future today. And God knew every choice that we would make before we made it. Every word that we would speak before we spoke it. Every deed that we would perform before we did it, God already knew about it and he still made choice of us. He says, before you were born, I sanctified you. And listen, I ordained you a prophet to the nation. So listen, don't just think Jeremiah. He ordained us in his kingdom to carry out a divine assignment. John 15, 15 through 17. Everybody say, God made choice of me. I'm not convinced. Say, God made choice of me. Let's say it again so heaven hears it. God made choice of me. God made choice of me. So when I understand that, 
When it's revelation to me, it does dictate the choices that I make. I understand God made choice of me. It does dictate my relationships. I understand God made choice of me. It does dictate where I go, what I say. Listen, how I present myself when I understand God made choice of me. And listen, because he made choice of me, nobody can put me down. Nobody can slander me. Listen, nobody's opinion of me really matters because God made choice of me. I just need to make sure that I'm in step with him. See, I don't have to be in step with the culture. I don't have to be in step with you, right? And I don't have to bow to your whims and your wishes when I understand God made choice of me. So I'm grateful when I understand who he created me to be, and I walk in that. And I won't back down. I won't push back. As a matter of fact, I am stepping up. I'm stepping out, and I'm moving forward because God made choice of me. And when he lifts us up, who dares to put us down? Doesn't the scripture say if God is for us, who can? What can be against us? Because we've got the majority covering us. John 15, 15 through 17. These things I have spoken to you. Jesus says that my joy, you see God doesn't want us depressed, given over to suicidal tendencies. He doesn't want us walking around poor mouthing it. He doesn't want us hopeless. He says that my joy may remain in you. And that's a spiritual force. It's not based upon external situations or circumstances. It's not based upon how much money is in the bank. Whether I'm in the black or in the red. It's not based upon. It's an internal force that catapults me forward. No matter what I'm going through. No matter what I'm looking at. That joy on the inside keeps me focused. It keeps me grounded. That my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Not at a deficit. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now this proves to be problematic because it is not possible to love others if we do not love ourselves. A dead dog mentality means I don't really think too highly of myself. If we have a victim or a dead dog mentality, how can we really love others and embrace others and accept others and encourage others? How do we do that when we don't even love ourselves? Jesus says greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. High honor, you are my friends. Pay attention if you do whatever I command you. So let's flip that. I could not be his friend. If I refuse to do what he commands. Can we see it in the book? You are my friends if you do whatever I command. Now, and God's not going to ask us to do anything wherein he has not already fully equipped us with the ability to get it done. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I called you friends. What a high honor. He called me friend. But all things that I've heard from, from my father, I have made known to you. It's my revelation because of this relationship. You did not pay attention. You did not choose me. Everybody say, God made choice of me. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. God made choice of you. It makes a difference. So however you've been feeling about yourself, whatever you've been thinking about yourself, whatever so-and-so told you about you, God says, I am the one. I have chosen you and I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. I created you to be fruitful, to be productive. Then he says that your fruit should remain. 
that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Let's qualify that because you and I know that God cannot give us whatever we ask for. Right? Because we've been asking for somebody else's husband, somebody else's wife. Right? Because of jealousy and envy, we are asking for all kinds of stuff. And we recognize God said the heart of man is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I'm the one. I know, I know what's in your heart. So we qualify this. Whatever we ask in alignment with his will. Whatever we ask according to his good plan for our lives. No, God's not. Listen, he doesn't give us everything we ask for. And thank God he doesn't. And let me just push that. God can't trust us. Yeah. You know that. <laughs> These things I command you. This is the command. That you love one another. Can we get it? Church family, can we love each other? Now, that's contingent upon me loving who he created me to be. And I must embrace who he created me to be. I understand I'm a flawed creature. I understand I, 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 I've messed up. I understand it, but he loves me unconditionally, sacrificially, and he's made choice of me. So now that dictates every decision that I make. If God has chosen us, and he has, if God has ordained us to be productive, and he has, why do we still have so many disabled disciples? <laughs> I, I, I wish I could clap like my son. How does he do it? Boy, when he gets excited, he starts clapping. My hands would hurt if I clapped that much. Why? God wants a healthy church. And if this is true, why are we yet struggling with the scars of yesterday? Why are we yet spiritually and emotionally sick? Why are we yet impotent? What's going on with us? And may I submit to us the problem is not with God. There has to be something happening on the inside of you and happening on the inside of me. So when God says that, I want a healthy church, he's simply saying that I want followers to be free from the impact and the influence of mistakes and sins and the torment and the scars of the past. I want a free people, a delivered people, a whole people, an excited people, a hopeful people. I want ambassadors. How long, how long do we choose, pay attention, how long do we choose to suffocate in our scars? So life happens to all of us. But we, listen, we must mature anyhow. Life happens to all of us. Trauma happens to all of us. Disappointment and pain, betrayal happens to all of us. But we pray more fervently. It happened, but we serve anyhow. We give anyhow. We love anyhow. We choose to soar anyhow. We hope anyhow. Listen, I'm going to bury my head in the sand because life happened. It happens to all of us. What's the difference in those of us who choose to break through thrive and soar, and those of us who cowered under. What's the difference? God wants a people free from private agendas and hidden motives, a people who truly want God and all that comes along with living a life of sacrifice, a life of godliness. Lodabar, remember, is a low place. Eh? A place that is unfruitful. Everybody say Lodabar. Lodabar. You'll never forget it after today. And we will not find ourselves in a place wherein there's no room for growth, no room for recovery, no word from the Lord, no life, no productivity, no communion with God, a place of poverty, emotional 
poverty. We were not created for low the bar. Some relationships, when you look at him hitting on you, you low the bar. <laughs> you are below the bar. In other words, I don't come down. I don't condescend. Lodabar is not for me. So just when you look at him, you just know he is Lodabar stuff. You don't want no attachment with that. All right, brothers, when you look at her, she is below the bar. Listen, no matter the hips, <laughs> no matter the lashes, the hair, no matter, she is below the bar. No growth, no recovery, no word from God, no communion with God. This is below the bar. <laughs> you want to recover from those scars? You cannot be found in low the bar. Can't be found there. Why do we press this? Because environment is essential to how we see ourselves. It is important, the climate, the atmosphere, the environment, it's important. And many times throughout scripture when God wanted to use a man or a woman, he would give them a command to leave the place that you're in. Leave your family, leave your kin. You see, some of our scars are directly proportional to our families. And we have to be okay with the fact that uh, I can't be with mama. She's too toxic. I can't be with my siblings. They're too toxic. I can't be with auntie and, and uncle and cousins. Too toxic. Sometimes our scars are proportional to issues in the family. Environment speaks to the sum total of all that surrounds us, the sum total of all that influences us. Listen, whether internal or external. And our point of emphasis, until living a life of purpose becomes more important to us than sulking in our sorrows, <laughs> fulfilling our own personal passions and private agendas, we will forever make unwise choices that keep us in a place of recovery. You see, paramount right now should be living a life of purpose on purpose. God, why did you put me here? That's what I'm all about. Why did you put me here? Not the next sexual encounter. <laughs> Surely we're not living for that. The next high, right? Surely we're not living for that. Why y'all quiet? <laughs> we must begin to study our choices. Church family, look at your choices. It's not about what mama did, daddy didn't do, right? At some point, I assume responsibility for why I am where I am today. I understand everybody has a past. I've been there, done that, went through that, but I am responsible for where I am today. So I study my choices. And in the study of my own personal choices, I begin to understand why I am stagnant. Why am I stuck here? Why am I still wrestling with the same old scars that I should have been delivered from a long time ago? And it's not that God doesn't have the power to deliver me. Do I want to be delivered? Do I want to be whole? Do I want to come out? Satan works through our experiences. Pay attention. He works through our experiences to birth in us a twisted perspective of who we are. He seeks to destroy the image we have of ourselves and of others. It's not just the image we have of ourselves, but we're looking at Others crazy. 
And could it be sometimes that the people we look at and we say they got the problem, could it be that really I'm the one with the problem? <laughs> Can we talk? I'm going to start clapping my hands again if y'all better come on with me, right? We study our choices. So Satan, he's working through our experiences to, to birth in us a twisted perspective of who we are. So he seeks to destroy the image we have of ourselves and of others by reminding us and tormenting us with the horror of that rape. Oh, sure, there are many of us who have been raped, but we got through it, we got over it, and you can't tell it. Failed friendships and family drama. Many of us have gone through Failed relationships and family drama, you can't tell it. We got through it. God lifted us above it. We came out of it. All of us are not whining over, why she do me like that? And why he abandoned? All of us are not whining about it. You see, it did happen, but I'm the stronger for it. Listen, I'm relentless in my commitment to Christ because of it. I'm the better because of it. I've got character because of it. I've got integrity because of it. I've got discipline because of it. And I know how to treat others because of it. In a loving way, in a kind way, we got through it. That human trafficking, that abandonment, those abortions, abuse and neglect, incest and molestation. You see, I told you all in a prior teaching, I am you. And there, there, there are very few things that you could bring to me and tell me what you're going through that I have not gone through or that I cannot relate to. So when I speak, I'm not a novice at this. Some of us have got some experience under our belt where we know the pain, the scar of incest and molestation and rape and divorce. We understand the family drama. And yet we're walking in the power of God that is available to anybody who wants to walk out. Oh, his power is real, and he's well able to heal those who want to be healed. And the question is, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to grow up? Do you want to mature? Do you want to step forward? Do you want to do it? And I submit to us that we've got a good group of folk who just don't want to get up. <laughs> we know the pain of betrayal and death. Immorality on all levels, divorce and murder, and a critical observation. I am not what you did to me or what I did to myself. <laughs> that ain't who I am. I'm not what you did to me, and I'm not even what I did to myself. Listen, my identity transcends what you did to me and what I did to me. That's Bible all day long because the source of our origin is God. God defined what he created. God refined what he created. God strengthened and prepared and trained what he created. I submit to us that God created us. And that is important because I need to know my maker. I need to know my creator. I need to know that I came out of God. We keep saying it, that I'm the offspring of God. Why is it essential that I know it? Because I got this knowledge to sustain me. I must remain connected to my creator. If I came out of him in order for me to live, I, I need to stay connected to him. That's why we say that to live means to be hooked up to the source of life, empowered by the source of life, rooted and grounded in the source of life. Listen, so that we can reign over the circumstances of life. Listen, circumstances happen, but I'm still ruling and I'm still reigning. That's how he created me. That's how he created you. In Genesis 1, 26, 
so you all don't think I'm a false prophet. <laughs> you got to stay with the scripture, right? Where, 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 where is that in the Bible? <laughs> and God said, let us hear it all day long. The triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Let us, I'm telling you where you came from. You don't have to get no books on psychology. You don't have to listen to Darwin's theory of evolution. Follow the path of science. You're just a product of the universe. No, we came out of a real God, a real person. Let us make man, how are we going to make him? In our own image. The capacity to operate out of our moral and spiritual character. After our likeness, you see, this is why living holy ain't hard. He created us to operate out of his moral and his spiritual nature so that living holy ain't hard. It's a decision. It's a choice. I got the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I don't have to say yes to sin. <laughs> I don't have to say yes to marijuana. I don't have to say yes to porn. <laughs> I don't have to say yes to lying or to pride or jealousy or sins of the heart. I do that by choice, not because I don't have the empowerment to say no, but I got to know my creator. So he says, we're going to make it in our image and after our likeness with the capacity to operate like God. So now let them have, there that word is dominion, rada, rulership. I want them to reign. So why are your circumstances taking you down? Why did that post take you down? Why did, when they unfollow you, that takes you down? <laughs> Who needs it? It's okay if you unfollow me. It's okay. The post. I understand I was created, listen, to operate like my father. And God doesn't clap back. You know what? Listen, he says what he means, and he means what he says, and there's a period behind that. There ain't no argument, no negotiating. Because he's God, right? Let them have dominion over. Now, not over people. We're not dictators. We don't control other folk over what I created. In other words, I'm going to give you stewardship. So you operate under the governmental auspices of heaven. That's how your power functions. Have dominion over the fish of, fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So I'm giving you stewardship over what I did. Now, just remember, you don't own nothing. I just have to throw that in. I want you to understand it because when you face death, physical death, you soon realize, listen, I own none of this stuff. I worked hard for it. I slaved for it. I missed church for it. I didn't pray to get it. Yeah. Right? I worship this stuff. And you still can't take it with you. Yeah. And Solomon says, oh, wow, vanity, I found out. I acquired all this stuff, but then I'm going to die. And then I'm going to leave it here. And who knows if I'm going to leave it to a wise man or to a fool. Yeah. Somebody else going to get it. Many times we misunderstand and we mismanage life experiences. Some of you say, is she almost finished? Y'all don't say that when Jerry Jr.'s up here preaching. <laughs> you all are waiting to take a picture with him. <laughs> oh, that ain't right. <laughs> 
We, we, listen, we misunderstand this. We mismanage experiences. Therefore, we allow what happened to us, pay attention, to identify us. This must be my son's sweat, because I don't sweat. But <laughs> I mean, he's always when he preaches. <laughs> it's hot up here. So we misunderstand, you all. We misunderstand. We mismanage life experiences. Therefore, we allow what happened to us to identify us, pay attention, confine us, and define us. Pay attention. This is Satan's strategy. So no matter what we experience in life, the one truth we must be rooted and grounded in is our God-given identity. Now, I'm almost done. For all of us, life is filled with mountaintop experiences. And life is also filled with valleys. There will forever be highs, lows, pain, and joy, disappointments, and jubilation. Can you see it? The world is filled with angry people, hurting people, wounded people, scarred people, people bent on getting revenge. Now, can I give you all a principle that I want you to live by? Y'all didn't say nothing. Any attempt we make to destroy the credibility of another person is a sure guarantee we will destroy our own. You see, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now, the scripture further says, to him who rewards evil for the good that has been done to him, evil will never leave his house. A principle for us to live by when we are scarred and when we are wounded, when we are betrayed, when we are talked about mismanaged or mishandled, a principle that we live by, any attempt I would ever make to destroy the credibility of another person is a sure guarantee I will destroy my own. You see, you cannot make any attempts to destroy other people without destroying yourself. Can we take the principle and live by it? There's always a root cause. When people are hurting, when people are scarred, there's always a root cause. Cause most often occurs for many of us in our formative years, progressing on into adolescence and then our young adult life. The ability to recover, please hear, can take for some of us years, and sadly, many never recover. The most dangerous place on the face of the earth is inside the mind of a person. The most dangerous place, you see, we see the act, we see what they did, uh, shooting up a school, a hospital, a church, a synagogue, we see the action, but the most dangerous place is on the inside of the mind of a person. That's why God compels us through his word to clean up our minds. What are you thinking about right now? Hey, it's important what we're thinking. There's a reason why so many people are, listen, easily angered, road rage. There's a reason why people are overly sensitive, quick to clap back, easily offended. There's a reason why some have an attitude about anything and everything. There's a reason why some people are, are bitter, they're curt, they're unforgiving. There's a reason why some people isolate. And isolation is, is dangerous because in isolation the devil gives you counsel. That's why he doesn't want us in community. He doesn't want us serving in local churches. He doesn't want us attached to the body of Christ. He doesn't want us involved in ministry. He wants us isolated so he can give us counsel. He wants us trapped in the carnality of our own minds. And Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. It's all about you. What's going on with you? What's going on with you? What's going on with you? He breaks out against all sound judgment. It is not wisdom to be isolated. 
And we understand this, you see. I can be in a room with 500 people and still be isolated because it takes place first in my heart. There's a reason why some are critical. You've met these kinds of people. Uh, some are judgmental. Uh, uh, these characteristics, I'm not saying that they're justifiable. I'm saying that there's a root cause. There's a deeper issue. The reality of abuse, rejection, abandonment, death, divorce, suicide, exploitation, human trafficking, porn addictions, gambling addictions, drug and alcohol addictions, sexual immorality, all of this is too common. And sadly, pay attention, Abused, scarred, hurting, angry children grow up to be abused, scarred, hurting, angry CEOs, physicians, economists, administrators, managers, husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. We work with these people. We marry these people. We worship alongside these people. And many of us are these people. Greatness, God's greatness is best experienced not in what he did not allow to happen to us. God spoke this to me so clearly. But rather how he healed and delivered us based upon what did happen to us. Can we repeat it? You see, because if you're praying prayers like, God, don't let this, don't let nobody talk about me. I mean, this is crazy. This lady said, uh, the, the, the preacher told me if I give an offering, folks will stop talking about me. That's a lie. You can give your offering, they still gonna talk about you. And probably the preacher who told you that is talking about you. Can we get this, people? God's greatness is best experienced, not in what he did not allow to happen to us, but rather how he healed us and delivered us based upon what did happen to us. Life happens to everybody. None of us are exempt. No matter what happens in life, God is still great enough. Great enough to lift us above what happened to us, strengthen us by what happened to us, and use us for his glory regardless to what happened to us. And we are without excuse. You see, have you noticed that when you're in this, this place of, of, of throwing your own pity party, nobody comes but you? Right? It's a carnal preoccupation with what's going on with you. And granted, I understand that it's painful what you're going through, but you don't have to stay there. You don't have to give pity permission. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get that clap yet. Maybe when I see Josiah, right? God's great enough, right? So we're without excuse. No matter what happened or how it happened or who was at fault. Hey, listen, quit blaming mama. You see, the devil's just using that. You got your focus so on mama until you can't experience your own healing. The issue is not mama. The issue is you now, right? Now, just let me be real. I'll put, my daddy molested me. My biological daddy molested me, right? walking around angry he dead and when he was alive I did not seek to have a relationship with him I could not trust him you see now have I forgiven absolutely because God made it very clear the day your dad repents he enters into glory just like you well why would he get in heaven are y'all here can we be real it's not about your mama well, you know, she was getting her groove on. She was out partying and her boyfriend raped me. Okay, it did happen. 
horrific happened. But how long you going to whine over that? Because ain't nothing you can do to undo that. But God is great enough to use you now as a witness to help other hurting girls, other hurting women. But understand, how, how can he use you if you are so preoccupied with you that you just whine about you? Because you're not the only one. May I submit to us that there are other people who have gone through what you're going through or what you've gone through. How do I know it's so? The Bible says there, there is no temptation, test, or trial taken you, but such as is common. Meaning that somebody else went through what you're wrestling with. But God is faithful, and he's not going to allow us to be tempted, tested, tried, or saved above our ability to handle it. But with the temptation, the test, the trial, he provides a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. He's in the business of giving us the ability to rise above it. I ain't talking about that anymore. I'm not whining over that anymore. So he walked out. He divorced you. Instead of crying over a glass of spilled milk, you ought to be saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just made room for the new, right? The new groom. See, some of, some of us are so stuck. We're crying over a glass of spilled milk when you should just get you a fresh glass and wait on some fresh milk. <laughs> He ain't the only one. You just made room for someone who will treat you like the queen God created you to be. <laughs> Look, I'm not a novice. I'm talking what I know. So can we get personal? 18 years old, I'm real stupid. I decide all my friends are married. I want to get married. I'm just going to get married. So I got married at the age of 18, dropped out of college, married this guy, fresh out of prison. Fresh out of prison. Everybody say stupid, so enough stupid, 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 stupid. No premarital counseling. Right? That guy beat my face in. I mean, beat me, Toby. He said, I just want you. I just, I made a bed with those other guys just because they couldn't get you. I would. I really wish I could stick my knife in you. This is the truth. Right? I mean, so now he ends up in an adulterous relationship and all the church is talking about it. Right? You know how y'all do y'all gossip. Y'all talk about people. <laughs> oh, the church is talking about it. And so um, one day I just walked up on him. He's with this girl. So I just packed all of his stuff and, you know, put it on that girl's porch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to get in trouble. Listen, let him have her with her hooch itself, ratchet self. Let him have her. <laughs> Listen, I didn't call you ratchet. Right? Now, now, I hope you're not behaving ratchet. <laughs> so I'm saying I'm not a novice, so got a divorce. Wow. Scarred, right? But healed. So that glass of milk, spilled milk, right? Not crying over that. Got me some fresh milk. <laughs> No problem, no revenge, no posting, not angry, ain't got no issue, not living in no trauma. 
So God gives me a husband. Now, this year, 38 years, this one guy. <laughs> treats me like the royalty that I am. The beauty that I am. <laughs> Y'all don't understand it. So why are you crying because he left you? Listen, you need to put on that music and, and start, listen, dancing. I'm talking holy dancing. <laughs> and start thanking God for what he just delivered you out of. I, that was the stupid me. Now, you know, I'm the righteous me. And, and I got somebody that's my partner in ministry, my lover, my best friend, right? And the father of my children. So thank you, Jesus. So don't, don't, you know, she don't know that, she don't know what I'm going through, you don't know what I've been through. Listen, been there, done that, been through some stuff that I haven't even written in a book. So when I give you counsel, if I was you, I'd straighten up, square my shoulders back, take my glasses off and listen. Right? Okay, I got 17 seconds, all right? <laughs> what, what did you tell us all that for? You without excuse. Stop rehearsing it, Amen. Now listen, many of us have gone to physicians for various health challenges. All credible physicians will tell you that they are not skilled to address every health challenge. They'll refer you to what is called a specialist. A cardiologist, gastroenterologist, psychiatrist, nephrologist, gynecologist, neurologist, so on and so forth, right? But God doesn't push us off like that because he specializes with all issues. All issues of the heart, issues of the mind, issues of the sight, issues of the blood, issues of the hearing, issues impacting every area of our lives naturally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. He's Jehovah, the all-encompassing I am that I am, the Elohim God. So what are you dealing with? Scars that won't heal? Oh, listen, God's well able. The answer here has to be my response. I want to be healed. I want to be whole. Enough. Enough of whining, crying, and complaining about what he did, she did, what they said, what they didn't do. God is the self-existing, eternal Lord God. And what you want to focus on is what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Look at what God has done. So I stand before you as a witness. So no matter how deep, how dirty, how low down, whatever it is, he's yet Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals. And God said this, listen, our most acute wounds, illnesses, are not external. Our most acute Ills are on the inside, you see. And a person, he says, can go to their grave without any external sign of sickness or disease because the most acute illness is the cancer on the inside, the cancer of a heart. It is a wounded soul, you see. I can't love freely, wounded soul, can't raise my children in a manner by which glorifies God, wounded soul. Can't be the wife or the husband I need to be because of a wounded soul. 
And you know what? You don't have to remain in that place. Not as long as he's God. Stand your feet. He's sovereign. Stand your feet. And this is the deal. This is the wonderful revelation that God loves me. God loves you. Can you see it? And he has made choice of you. But what about what I did? Do you know that we don't give God information? God already knows. He knows what we did. And yet, he called us his own. He loves us. With all of my hang-ups, my mess-ups, he loves me. If you can internalize it, personalize it, Visualize it. God loves you. He knows like nobody else what we're guilty of. He didn't dismiss us, kick us to the curb, throw us away. He doesn't look at us as dead dog material. Right? He looks at us so valued and so worth it. The Bible says that he demonstrated. God Almighty, he demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were sinning, while we were sinning, while we were selling dope, while we were whoring around, while we were, listen, smoking weed and doing crack, and while we were watching porn and masturbating, while we were gambling, he demonstrated his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinning, Christ died. That's before the foundation of the world. You see, he's so God, so sovereign. He saw you. He saw me. Every decision, every unwise choice. He said, look, he saw us masturbate. He saw us watching porn. Listen, he saw us cursing people out. He saw us high. He saw us. Listen, people, and he still chose That's why, you see, your value is it's already set. You're just that expensive, just that worth it. That he says, I can't let them go. I got to die for them. I want them back. You see, this is what we call reconciliation. He saw in us something worth redeeming. I don't know about you all, but I'm glad about it. I'm glad that he made choice of me, not because of, but in spite of. Everybody say, he chose me. So I want you to pray a prayer with me and mean it from your heart. Only God knows if you really mean it. Dear God, in the name of Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you made choice of me. You saw me before the foundation of the world. And even in my mess-ups, my screw-ups, you still wanted me. And now I'm here. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my heart. Save me. Can't save myself. Heal me. You know the wounds 
Come on, the scars, the pain, heal me. I renounce any and every way by which Satan would claim ownership of me. Today, I turn my back on the devil. I turn my face towards God. I trust you to heal me. I'm all yours. Now use me for your glory. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Come on, everybody.